If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we will be uh, in John 1, which is a familiar passage to us here at BCC. Um, I can't seem to get over it. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I want to talk about it more this week because it's still Christmas for me. I'm still celebrating Christmas. Advent was 40 days in the dark, thinking about the light and the waiting, uh, and uh, I'm still playing with the toys, right? Like, I'm still celebrating. Uh, uh, on the church calendar, traditionally, there's 12 days of Christmas, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take all of them, uh, and I'm going to celebrate. I also think that this time is helping me sort through the impact of Christmas, Right, like the, the effect it has on you, it's, I mean, so much changes, right? I mean, there are many businesses that make their entire year off of sales at Christmas. The impact of it is, is big on, on the economy, the impact of it on, uh, you know, travel and chaos, heartache, celebration, uh, the impact is huge. Uh, and the impact, you know, it always has been for me in my life. I've been fortunate. I grew up uh, in a situation where uh, Christmas was this thing that you looked forward to with great anticipation, right? Uh, because, uh, because it was going to change everything, right? Like, if, if Christmas was going to change everything. If I just got the bike that I asked for, like, everything's going to be good forever. If I just got the Nintendo, if I, or the Atari before that, or whatever it was that I really, really wanted, if I just would get that, then everything would be okay. And so I just remember growing up that way. I don't know that it's the same anymore. Uh, my son, uh, Gibson, I don't know if it's the same for him, because his average Tuesday is better than any birthday I ever had. So, you know, it's just different, right? Like, they'll go to, like, the, he's like, hey, let's go to the trampoline park. I'm like, trampoline park? Like, twice a year, we got to go to the playground at McDonald's for somebody's birthday. Uh, you go to the trampoline park, it's unbelievable. Uh, if we wanted to jump on a trampoline, when I was growing up, you had to go down to Ben's house and go up into the woods and jump on the trampoline there. And if what springs had not, were not gone, were so rusted that there was a good chance of tetanus. Someone was getting shot. So, like, when they make me sound those things at the trampoline park, I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure, whatever. Not even close to what I went through. So, but he, he, he just, he has more, I think, also, as, as you get to an adult... I mean, if I want a room, I'm just going to go buy it, right? Like, I'm not going to wait for Christmas. If I need a thing, but we have this idea that we're going to get this thing and everything's going to be okay. There's this hope that this thing that we long for is going to arrive and impact everything. And so I'm still processing through the impact of this Christmas. Uh, the people that, um, that I miss that aren't here with us anymore. Uh, the, ugh, look at all this wires and stuff. Ugh. Uh, the impact of the people who aren't with us anymore, the new people that are around us, all of the good news, all of the sad news, and, and, and just sorting through all of these things in this season has been incredibly, incredibly helpful. Uh, in this passage, John chapter one, that we're going to look at this morning, uh, it is what's called the, the, uh, the prologue to John. It's, some people think it's a hymn, or like an early poem, with some like, like narrative interjections to explain some things. It's at the very least let's say elevated prose, right? It's, how about this? It's fancy writing. Yeah, it's fancy writing is what it is at the very least. It's very well structured. It's beautiful. I can't get over it. Uh, You know what? Let's just read it. Let's just read it again for the 100th time, but I don't care because I love it so much. Here we go. It says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. 
And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I love this so much. I think one of the reasons I love it so much, uh, the more that I study scripture, uh, the more that I I read and, and, and learn, the more I see what John is doing. Or maybe this, I realize John is doing way more than I thought he was, right? He's just, he's just stacking images on images. It's like he's reaching into the brains of his listeners and taking images that are already there and pulling them out and showing them to them in a, in, in a different way. He's like, I know you think this, this is good and true, but look at it like this. And so he's just rearranging things that they already know, that they already believe, uh, at least the people that read it, uh, that, that already were, uh, that, knew, that knew John. And so he's explaining all of these things. It, I think that I, what I love about it so much is it talks about God's power, right? All that he's gonna do, but it also talks about how he had this plan to accomplish this thing and that he's gonna come after people, that he, that he comes after people like me, Um, rebellious people who at times in my life with words but for sure often in the way that I think and act have said to God I don't want anything to do with you but this is a text that this God who is this powerful had this idea to come and chase us down if I were a different style preacher I would say the wonderfulness of God's power, his plan, and his pursuit of us. That's what I would say, but I'm not that kind of preacher. But that's what's happening here. Uh, it, it's amazing, and I just get so overwhelmed at the, the majesty and the beauty of what John is trying to do. He doesn't start out his letter trying to like force you to listen. Instead, he's very, very good at like hooking you with ideas or hooking people with ideas. It's clear that he's thought very, very uh, long and hard about what he's gonna say to draw us in. He's not like, wait for it, sound on. Like he's just like, hey, let me paint this picture that hooks you and draws you in. He's describing the son of God in terms that just grab the attention. He is trying to get people He's trying to compel them to listen to the story that he's gonna tell in the next 20-something chapters. It's amazing. So he is telling the story, he, he opens up this way, and what he's doing is he's painting the impact of this whole, the word coming into the world bit. He's painting this as having cosmic impact. He says that what's happening here is not just life-changing, 
cosmos changing. That the God, that the word would come and become flesh and dwell among us. So look at, look at the first lines. I want to I try something today. I want to walk through this only, telling, only looking at what we know from the Old Testament, what, 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 what some, his readers, if they were Jewish, would have already known, but moving through it piece by piece. Because the, here's the nature, like what happens. I, I, I pick this up and I read it. It's like, in the beginning was the word, and I'm like, that's Jesus, right? Because I know like, that's what he's doing. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, in the beginning was the word, and the word was Jesus, like he kind of like holds that for a minute. So I want to try to see if we can work through this section like we'd read it for the first time. Like this is the first time we were hearing of this Jesus. And try to see if we can get a picture of what John is saying. Why is he unfolding it this way? So you see kind of the poetry of it in the very first two verses. This first line, in the beginning was the word. And then he mirrors that in two. He was in the beginning. And then in between these two statements kind of mirrored each other, he says this, and the word was with God. Okay. Whatever this word is that you're talking about, John, he says that he was with God in the beginning. Okay, okay. Then he says this, and the word was God. Say what? You can't be with God and be God, right? And John's like, nope, absolutely. He was with God and he was God. And so he begins to paint this picture and unpack in just a few beautiful lines that everything is different. He's arguing that the Christmas, Christmas uh, this, this, what's happening at, what he's about to describe, the person that he's gonna teach us about, that we're gonna learn from, has not just cosmic impact, but eternal impact. He was there from the very beginning. So why does he, dis- why does he introduce Jesus as the word? Think about this a lot, because if you grew up in church, we use the word a lot. Like that, that's what we say, the word a ton. Uh, like this is the word, Jesus is the word. Uh, 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 it's just, we use it, in some, so why would John pick this word to begin to teach us about whatever it is he's gonna teach us about? So here's a couple things. Uh, in the beginning was the word. Uh, immediately, if you grew up reading scripture at all, you immediately recognize this line in the beginning. Like this Genesis language, right? It's how the whole Old Testament begins. It's how the scroll of Genesis begins. In the beginning, there was God and he makes the heavens and the earth, right? So he's saying that in the beginning, back then, my story starts back then. And this word that I'm telling you about was there, was with God, was God. He was there in the beginning, So this word that was with God in the very beginning, drawing on this Genesis language, you begin to think about, well, what happened back in Genesis? He reaches in and pulls this memory out. Well, what happens in Genesis is God is there, and he begins to create. And the way that God creates is super fascinating. He doesn't do a dance. He doesn't nod his head. He doesn't uh, clap really loud. He doesn't wrestle a beast like in other, other creation narratives. Instead, the God of the Old Testament speaks, the story is told this way, that in the beginning, there was, the world was without form and void. Everything was without form and void. God was hovering, the spirit of God's hovering over the face of the deep. And God speaks into the chaos and begins to order it. Let there be light. And there was light. So he's drawing on that image. But if you think about how voices work, right? It's pretty interesting too. One of the ways that voices work is uh, they start where, where does what you say start? It starts somewhere inside of you with a thought or a desire, a will. 
And then we go to give it voice to express it outside of ourselves and air passes over our vocal cords causing them to vibrate in the larynx and then our mouth and our our nasal passages and our tongue begin to give form and shape to these these sounds and, and the words are shaped and they travel because air, right? Over air, these waves travel through air to a membrane inside your ear that begins to vibrate and you hear what I said. It's fascinating that that's how it happens, right? So God doesn't have, uh, he's a spirit, the Bible's very clear about that, doesn't have these uh, vocal cords, but the, what they're trying, the, the authors are trying to communicate is that God speaks, he has a will and a desire and a command, and he speaks in other things as, as what's inside of his head that goes outside, or in his mind, what's inside of him goes outside of him, things begin to happen. So here's an interesting thing. Is your voice, is the command that comes from you, is it separate from you or is it part of you? I mean, imagine you were at work and all of a sudden from around the corner you hear the, you hear the voice of your boss and, and the boss yells down and she says, hey, hey, go do so and so. And you turn around and you begin to go do so and so and somebody stops you and says, what are you doing? It's like, the boss told me to go do so and so. Did you see them? Well, no, I didn't see them. They were around a corner, but I heard their voice. Well, how do you know it was them? Well, it was their voice. And, and they said things that they would normally say. <laughs> like, I recognized not just what they, how they sounded, but I recognized what they said. And so, so I begin to do, well, how do you know that's what they wanted? Because they said it. The voice that travels outside of you communicates something about you. The voice that travels outside of you, that initiates, that begins inside of you, communicates something about who you are, your will, your desire, and what you want accomplished. Especially if we're giving a command or request. And so God speaks, and also who, who the person using the words, who uses the words, that matters too, doesn't it? It has weight. Like if I'm just in the office and Karen just yells down the hall, hey, go do so and so, I'm like, I don't work for you, Karen. But if the boss says it, you like jump up and you run down the hall, right? Whoever it is that says a thing, who the person is who's speaking, their voice has weight. The biblical word for that, by the way, is glory. It's a whole different sermon series. We're not gonna go there. But it has weight and significance matters. The more important the person, the more weight their words have, the more power to affect change in the world, Yes? God is so powerful that he speaks and things just appear. Everything in all of creation obeys his voice, except you and me. He speaks and these things come to be. His word is part of who he is, but it's also separate. The idea is that it's distinct from him, but also part of him, just like our voices, who we are, but also distinct from who we are. In some way, he says, John is beginning to paint this picture that this word was with God, was somehow distinct from God, but also was God himself. I have to do an unfortunate thing today. I have to tell you, I have to talk about translation. And you know what I, I've said to you before, most pastors aren't academic scholars, and if a pastor says, well, in the original Greek it says so-and-so, maybe, probably not, like who, who knows? We're not, we're not scholars, right? We may have studied them, but we're not scholars, so, but I have to share at least one, uh, one word with you, and, and it's, you may not even know it, the, the word here, the word is, is logos, Right? Logos is, is, is what it means. And the reason I have to bring it up to you is because that not only meant something, the word meant something to the Jewish hearers who would, would hear that. They would also hear echoes of Proverbs and Psalms where God is described as having wisdom with him in the beginning, but wisdom is personified. So they would have heard hints of that. But also the Greek hearers, 
the secular hearers, the the Gentile hearers of John's intro would have heard something too. They would have heard in the word logos something like the divine mind, something that existed outside of the universe, outside of us, that, that, that directed and ordered all of things. They would have heard that in John's choice of this word, logos. John's trying to draw everybody into this. In the beginning was the logos, the word. He was with God in the beginning. This is the picture that he's painting, and it's so really, really cool. And then it says this, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This word was there. Not only was this word there with God, was not just an active, just a bystander, but was an active part of creation. Everything that exists, exists because of this word. Without the word, nothing would exist. Everything was made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. And then he says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is, again, more Genesis language. He's drawing on more Genesis language. So you get to, through the, you're working through creation in Genesis, and you get to God creating humans. And it's different. How God creates mankind is different than how he's created everything else. The picture of how he creates humans is so beautiful. He, it, the picture is of him bending down into the dust and shaping humanity and breathing into humanity life. It's called out and distinct from everything else that God has made. God makes humans in his image and breathes his spirit, his life into them. Humans somehow stand different from the rest of creation because of God's intentional involvement in creating humans in their image. It's why we have value and worth. Humans have value and worth because we exist in a relationship with God, was created by God for a purpose, and he breathes his life into us. So we, he creates us, and his, the life comes through him. Then the story goes on to say, that humans rebel. They decide that they want to grab the blessings for themselves, and so they rebel, reject God's path and God's way, and God sends them out of the garden in which he had placed them. And in this garden was the source, the Bible tells us, of life. Not just physical life, but somehow spiritual life, real life. Uh, Somehow the life of God being attached to humanity was tied up in this garden. When I was growing up, one of the questions I had, one of the things that I thought I would be when I grew up was an archaeologist who discovered Eden. That's what I was gonna do. I was a kid, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna grow up, I'm gonna find Eden. There's no way we can't find it, right? And we have pretty good maps. Like in the Old Testament, it says like, I mean, we know like it's between these rivers, right? We know where those rivers are. And so I had this, this idea that I was going to be the one who got to go do that, and it would involve, you know, lots of quicksand and whips, you know? And so I, 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 it's like, how, and we have satellite, how come we can't find Eden? We know where it was on the earth. Why can't we find it? And, and now I see, I see differently. Uh, Eden was this place that wasn't just a place in the physical world. It was also the place where, all right, I'm going to do my best here. Where God's realm, where he is and he exists, existed as the same place as where you and I exist. Uh, in some way, God dwelling with humans could happen and in heaven would just like overlap with earth in an amazing way. So they could be in the same place at the same time. The eternity, which is everywhere, the heaven where God exists, which is outside of everything, Earth somehow, I don't know, opened up and was there. I think of it like the transfiguration. 
In the New Testament, Jesus uh, has this moment. He goes up on this mountain uh, with a few of his disciples, three of his disciples, and Elijah and Moses show up, and everything turns white, and it's just like, it's just crazy. Uh, And the disciples are freaking out. And here's what I think happened. I think that was an Eden moment. A place where God's heaven somehow just... The veil, maybe? How about that? The veil is pulled back, and somehow you can see straight into heaven and how these two overlap. So you get to the end, and it says, uh, sorry, you get to the the story about uh, God casting humans out, and it says that he places an angel there to guard the way back to heaven. We lose access to heaven, the place where there is real spiritual life, where real eternal life exists. And the heaven, he's just guarding that veil, keeping people from going back and living like we are, broken and sinful, living forever. That's the picture that's being painted. We weren't meant to live like this. If you don't believe me, read the news. It's not supposed to be like this. So that veil between the heavenly realm where God is and the earthly that sometimes overlaps, it was shut and is guarded and we no longer have access to it. That's the story of Eden. John says that this word who was with God in the beginning Everything was made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. In him was this very life. The life that we lost access to. And so John is saying that this access that we once had to heaven that is now gone, uh, this word, in him was life and the life was the light of men. This word that comes, he now has the life that we're looking for. The things that we are always feel right out of reach. The part of our existence that always feels like it's just on the other side. Uh, the thing that we want that we're either distracting ourselves from or we're trying to fill ourselves up with something to make life feel worthwhile, to be fulfilled, to be full. That life He says, the life that you were made for, that you created for, that we've been separated from since Eden, that's the word. The word has this life. And then he interjects. So if you're hearing this for the first time, he he hasn't said Jesus yet. Uh, So you're like, hmm, I wonder who he's talking about. I wonder if he's talking about that guy, John. Heard John was baptizing people and there were a bunch of people following him. And John says, the John the Baptist, and this John says, it was this man sent from God who was John. He came as a witness to the bear, the uh, witness about the light, that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he did point us to the light. It's not this John that you've heard about. There's another one, but John, when he was here, he talked about this light. It's not John, but it's another guy. So then he goes back into it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, pointing to this Jesus. Oh, oh Sorry. We don't know it's Jesus yet. All right, keep going. So true light coming, enabled everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. So this emphasis that he has this power and this authority enough to create all that is was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. The creator showed up in his artwork, right? The author appears in the middle of the story and the rest of the characters don't recognize him. That's what he says happened. So this God appears in the world. Oh, how fascinating that this, that this, this word would show up here that is God and was with God in the world. The world was made through him but didn't recognize him because, I mean, like, that makes sense, though, right? That, like, that feels like... That feels like that's the way it should go, though, right? I mean, if you were like, hey, this is my friend. He's a carpenter. He made all the whole world. You'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're not hanging out anymore. Because that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you'd be confused by that. So I feel like it's not a criticism. It's like they didn't recognize him because he didn't look like we thought the creator of the world should look. Jesus often doesn't look like the salvation that we want, even though it's the salvation we deeply desire and deeply need. 
So he says this. He says he came to the world. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, his own people, but they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will or the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This word that has come into the world in some way, we didn't recognize it, didn't know People that he came to didn't know him, but some people did, and, and any of them that, that did receive him, and how did you receive this life that this word has? You receive him as you believe in his name, and what you get, the type of life you get, it says, is the type of life that belongs only to the sons of God, the children of God, the daughters of God. It's a quality of life very different than the life that we have. It's a quality of life very different than we think that we are looking for in new Ataris and Nintendos and bikes and trampolines or whatever the adult version of those things are. You have this access to have this type of life. This life includes being the actual child of God. And this is what he says. In uh, verse, uh, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's how it came in the world, because he hasn't said he's been flesh yet. He says he showed up in the world. And then he makes this amazing declaration that this word, this mysterious word that's been in the world was a person, had flesh, walked the earth, dwelt among us. Here's where I have to talk about a second translation thing. I feel very, I feel awful about it. I feel gross. I don't like it. And here's why. I don't want you to doubt your translation. Your translation's amazing. But there's just something behind this word. I think it's even in the footnotes. If you look in your, if you have an ESV, I know it's in the footnotes. This dwelt among us is a word tabernacled. And the reason I have to bring that up is he's using Exodus language now. John's, he's, he's using, oh, he's just drawing another picture. So, uh, quickly, God is creating his own nation. He's made his own people. Uh, They end up in slavery in Egypt. Long story. But anyway, he rescues them out of Egypt. And then he says this to them. He says to the people that he's rescued, he says, here's the deal. I am your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to come live among you. And these people have just seen this God descend on the mountain in his presence. And there's a smoke and this fire and all this crazy stuff happens. And he says, I'm going to come live among you. And they say, thank you, but no, we don't want you to live among us. That seems terrifying. We would not like that at all. And he says, I'm going to do it anyway. And here's how it's going to happen. And he, all the, the, the Leviticus and ex, all the part, that in your, the, the, the part that you get to in your annual reading plan where you stop, like Leviticus and all that stuff, that's all these rules about how you're going to be so that God can live in your presence. And he gives them very specific instructions about building this mobile tent, this tent where he's going to actually like show up in the middle of this tent and live there and how you're going to minister. It's, it's unbelievable. But in the very middle of the tent, what's called the Holy of Holies, God in his presence is somehow going to be there. But you can't just walk in. Like if you're going to come to worship him, you have to bring sacrifices. There's this whole thing where an entire group of people are just going to, their entire job is just to take care of this whole place. And nobody can even really go into the Holy of Holies at all. Once a year, one person can. So somehow there's this little bitty Eden place back there, but I don't have access to it. Not without somebody offering sacrifice and going in there in my place. And now John says, you know that tabernacle where God came and set up his residence among us? That's who this Jesus was. 
God living right here. This Eden thing just walking around. And if you want access to that life, that, that place where, where God's life just overwhelms everything and flows out of everything, here's what you have to do. You have to receive and believe. That is what this story is painting. Glory, as we've seen him, the glories of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John talked about him, verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, one grace, next grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only Christ who was at the Father's side. Last time I'm gonna mention translation. It's a tricky passage though. Uh, it, the footnote's there too, it says this. It says, uh, in the Father's bosom, not at his side, they're, they're translating. It, it, the picture is of uh, a child on his Father's lap. That this Jesus is so closely associated with the authority and rule of God that he is God himself come in the flesh to bring life to you and me. So, all of this to say, all of that to get to here. John's arguing that has cosmic impact. He's arguing that this is eternal, life-changing, this is the only way to have access to life, the source of life. So here's my question. In 2023... What are we going to do about this? Do you have plans and rhythms to draw near this God who has drawn near to us? That's something that's available to us. By faith, if you've received him, if by faith you are a follower of Jesus, you have access to this God who spoke everything into existence through Jesus. You have the same access that your child has to you. I just think the world's so full of distractions. Now, I, I'm not a, a New Year's uh, a resolution type of guy, just, you know, just a long history of failure, you know? I, I think in the last five years, I've lost like 400 pounds. It's just the same 10 over and over again, though. Like, you know? It's just terrible, terrible at resolutions, so we, the world's talking about habits a lot now. We, we call them spiritual disciplines. <laughs> spiritual disciplines are just habits that we begin to build. Not habits that'll save you. Not the habits in themselves or the things that you need, but the habits that put you in a place to have access, to understand this God, to, 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 to be poured into by this God, to be changed. So that no matter what happens, you find this grace upon grace. So that no matter what happens, you are filled. So that no matter what happens, you know the Father full of grace and truth through this Jesus. So, so here are my habits that I'm gonna suggest to you. And on my last Sunday of Christmas that I get, I get a few more days, but this is my last Sunday. Here, here's what I'm gonna suggest. One, prioritize community of believers. <laughs> even when it's inconvenient. I heard somebody say not too long ago, I love this, they said, if your community is not inconveniencing you, then it's probably not really community. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah? My point is this, it's worth sacrificing for to prioritize worship and community. Second thing is this, the way that we have access to this word, know this word, know what this God is like is through scripture reading. So yes, unsurprisingly, I'm gonna to recommend to you that we read 
and respond. Here's the deal. This is not just a book that we read and go, yep, 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 yep. This is a thing that God has said to us. Our prayer lives are not just us shouting things at the sky hoping God picks up on some of them. It is us responding to a God who, from the very beginning, is described as a God who speaks, a God who has spoken to us, and we respond to him. So to develop habits of responding to what God has said, we read, and then we respond, and then we meditate. I know that sounds incredibly simple. Uh, um, I don't have anything that would fit on a bumper sticker for you uh, because I think if it fits on a bumper sticker, it's probably too short and, and simple to really have any kind of depth and meaning. But yeah, like go to church, be with the people of God, singing the people of God in the presence of the people of God and listen to the God who's spoken to you. So here, here's what I'm going to recommend, very, very practically. So I have uh, on the app and outside, there are sheets of paper, because I like sheets of paper, um, because you can check off as you move through them. Here, here's what I want to recommend, because it can be overwhelming. I, I, I admit, I, I will admit to you that it's probably a lot for me to ask of most people to just start in Genesis and try to just make it through. I admit that's a lot. That's really, really difficult. I mean... Parts of it were written 3,000 years ago in a foreign language that's not even close to the one like ours. I get it. It's hard. Um, it's good. And I, wanted to, I want us to all get there eventually. But listen, if, if reading through the Bible in a year seems like a lot to you, here's what I would suggest. Try reading through the New Testament. Or, or if that's a lot, if this is your first time and you're like, I've never tried anything like this before, I don't know, let me recommend this to you. Just read through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there. It won't even take you a year. If you take five minutes a day, oh, now it's like I'm pitching something. I guess I am. Just five minutes a day, you can have abs of steel. No, in five minutes a day, five days a week, less than 30 minutes a week, you could read a chapter of a gospel and a psalm and I, I just think that that would just be, that, just that habit, even if you don't understand it, I believe that habit of stopping and reading and then making that psalm your prayer, responding to God in prayer, and maybe adding, I would encourage you to do this, maybe some scripture memorization just to, to, to roll around in your brain, to think on a thing, to dwell on a thing. I think that little bitty habit, if you could just start that week one and then carry that on into week two, Oh, man. If you want to read through the whole New Testament, I think it will take you less than 15 minutes a day if you just did it five days a week. To read and to respond. This is life-giving. This is the thing that we're looking for. The problem is it just so often doesn't, we just don't think it's, how can this, how can reading this dusty old book that I've actually read, some of, us, some of you read before, you've heard it your whole life, how can this give me life? It's because when we dwell with God, he is the source of the life that we're looking for. The source of eternal life. When I mean life, what I mean is purpose and meaning and understanding rightly how to be in the world. It's here. It corrects, it encourages, it comforts. And we respond, let me give you an example. Let's say you're reading through, let's say you're reading through Matthew and you get to, oh man, there's this crazy section in Matthew, chapter five. So just five days in, by Friday you'll be there. And he says, Jesus says, he stands up in front of a group of people and starts saying crazy stuff. He says stuff like, the poor are doing just fine. They're like, they, they're gonna do, they're, I got stuff for them. He says, the meek, 
the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. I don't know if you've looked around. I don't know many CEOs that are meek. I don't know many rich people. I don't know many people with a boat, like yachts, you know, where you can land a helicopter, that are meek. And he says, Jesus says, says, those people, the meek ones, they're going to inherit the earth. Doesn't look like it to me. But it's the promise that he's made, that he's doing a thing and shaping a thing and beginning to shape our hearts in a certain way. And so let's say this. Let's say you get to this thing and Jesus starts saying these crazy things and you say, you know what? I am one of these people he talks about who weeps. How am I supposed to be comforted? And you begin to read the rest of what he says, that he's drawn near to you, that he loves you. And you begin to read, then you begin to respond to him in prayer. It corrects, it soothes, it calms your soul. Because it tells you who you are and who he is. The way that we will lay hold of this amazing reality that the light has come into the world, it is the light of men, it is for everyone. The way that we will make ourselves most available to be changed by this in our thinking and our feeling is if we are still and quiet and listen to what God has said to us and respond. And I wish there was some advanced way for me to tell you, but I really do believe with all my heart, it's in finding moments of stillness, intentionally finding moments of stillness and quiet to read and reflect. So outside, there are three different plans. Uh, also, by the way, there's so many plans. Like I started like trying to gather plans for you, and I ended up with like 19. I'm like, if you offer somebody 19 different reading plans, nobody's doing anything. So I, I was able to pull it down to three but also, let me, let, me, let me recommend, if you can't, if you're like, I just can't read, hey, I have an app called the Dwell app. Uh, I have this guy that just reads te- scripture to me because I, when I tend to read, I tend to read really fast and miss a bunch of stuff. And, and this guy, he's British, and uh, so his voice kind of keeps me interested. And there's like, a, there's, like a, there's like music behind it, so I'm like, I'm kind of like there. And, and I, I notice different things. So sometimes I just let, let someone read it to me because it, it goes way slower. It makes me stop and be still. Find an app that will read it to you. Listen to it on your commute. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. This is God's word to you. This is not some textbook. This is not some access to some program or plan that will help you harness the power of the universe. No, it's a person. Jesus Christ come in flesh into the world to give us access to that Eden life even now. I'm pleading with you. I'll come to your house and read it to you. No, I'm kidding, I won't do that. But if you're like, hey Chris, this plan's not working or I have questions or I don't know, dude, you, I, it be, whatever I can do to encourage you, us as a church, to be engaged in scripture, memorizing scripture, reading scripture, I believe that there's life in it. So I want to do that to facilitate whatever I can do. Because here, you know, we, we have like an hour and a half here together a week. And then, and then we're out there for the rest of it. Man, just to, to continue what we're doing in here, this drawing close to God, listening to what God says, man, I, I cannot encourage it enough. So the, there's three plans out there printed out. If you go into the app, I have even more suggestions, depending on how far you want to drill. I, 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 this year, I think I'm going to use uh, the Bible Project as a plan. It's seven days a week. The ones out there are five days a week, but the Bible Project has one at seven. I love what they do because like, there's videos 
Not only that, like you're reading Matthew, like what I would do is print out. They have this little like overview of what the whole, how it's structured and all the key things in it. Just keep it beside you to, so it doesn't feel like you're reading separate chapters every day, but you see that you're moving through this beautiful story. And they do a great job. I signed up for their emails. I'm an email, I'm an inbox zero kind of guy. So like, get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh, I guess I have to read my Bible so I can clear my inbox. I can't say enough. I can't encourage you enough. I can't plead with you enough to set aside time just to read through the Gospels. If that's all you have time for, I'm here to help you do that. I think you can make it through the New Testament, though. If you've done this before, let's go for the Old Testament. You do it, the whole thing, new and old. I will help you find a plan if one of these doesn't work, but I can't encourage you enough to stop, grab one of those on the way out. Because this is a God who not only loved you enough to speak to us, but spoke to us in the clearest way he could by becoming flesh and walking among us, tabernacling with us so that we can have access to this God. What an amazing way to pursue life. I can't encourage you enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. What a gift it is. What, what a beautiful thing it is that you have revealed yourself to us in Christ and you have revealed yourself to us in a book. Shown us what you are like. Shown us how you are, how we're to be in a book that we can carry around with us. Hmm. I pray this year that though, your word that has power in it transforms us that we see Jesus is so beautiful, that we just fall in love with him over and over and over again, the beauty of who he is and what he has done. The one who was there that was so powerful that everything that exists was made through him, but yet also died on a cross. The one who was in his power created us, but in his weakness pursued us. In his power he made us on the cross makes us anew. Let us just be overwhelmed with the beauty of that. The beauty of him this year, give us just this desire. Block out all the other noise that's trying to compete and distract. This promising life, but we've tried it. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We've tried all of the other things that had promised life. But it's only in you. So even though sometimes it doesn't look like it, sometimes we sit down and we read and we just walk away like, what did I get out of that? Let us believe that in those moments of drawing our attention to you, that you're changing us. Your spirit is working inside of us to make us more like Jesus. Give us that insight and that wisdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.